Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. All right, well, a couple things. I, uh, we're going to be starting this new series, which I'm uh, excited about. We're calling it The King, and uh, in um, the book of Daniel, we're going to kind of go pretty well go chapter by chapter as we go through. It's kind of like the airplane view chapter, get the picture, then we dive down to one of two points, because we can't cover that all, but that means that you guys can spend some time and kind of catch all the things that are left over that we didn't have a chance to get to, uh, and so I encourage you a couple things I just want to, now this is probably, I'm probably talking to the choir here, most of you have this, but uh, these two things, especially on your phone, now you can do the website as well, but having uh, version is really a pretty cool tool on your phone to study because you can do notes and highlights and you can share with other people. And so I encourage you, if you don't have that, make sure you download that app. And that actually Bible Project has just recently come out with the app. They've always had a website that's amazing, which I still use a lot, but they have an app now. So you end up having it even faster for you to be able to take it with you. So there's actually an uh, overview on Daniel, and I think we'll have it in one of our... Uh, announcements or something somewhere, but just if you go there, you'll find it. You look at that, that app, and you'll be able to look at Daniel, and it'll give you a really good overview. So I encourage you this week to read the overview, to do the uh, Bible Project overview, and then also uh, maybe uh, start looking on whatever app you use, or, or, or maybe even are so spiritual you use a real Bible. You can use that too. So the real spiritual week will have Bibles, and so I thought about just carrying one around just so I wouldn't be judged by some of you. But uh, Anyway, so we want to start out with in, in, in Daniel, and you know, I, I ran across this. This is a book on my coffee table. It actually takes up most of the coffee table. It's monstrous, and so my favorite thing to do is go to a garage sale and find something that cost, you know, $85 back in the 1985, and, uh, and buy it, and then just you know, do what I want, because I, and, and I was always so dumb in school and, and basically distracted. I hated history, for instance, and I had a girlfriend that actually kept giving me the answers, so I didn't learn anything, so I've had to catch up, right? So, uh, and so I, I get these books, and I want to learn history, so I, how do you do it? Buy a book this big on everything, and this is only 85 years of history, and as I was going through this book, I was just noticing, like, how many things changed. I mean, from the 1900s to 1985, it's like, oh my goodness. And you would look in the pages and you would see all these people who are just so excited about their government or this new thing or this thing has happened. And then you go a few more pages and, oh, that government's not there anymore or something has changed and it's shifted around. And I mean, the amount of changes and shifting within the political powers and systems on the world was just astounding. And that was 85 years, right? And I say that because, you know, the, the book of Daniel is this place of you know, uh, we have, you know, uh, well, just an example. I, I looked up recently. Right now, there's 27 conflicts in worlds going, going on around the world right now, 27. And we're at a record place of, of refugees. In fact, 84 million people are displaced in their home right now in the, in the, in the world. And displaced from their country, there's 20 million displaced can't had to cross the border and get out of the country. To, to give you a, a, and it's going on, like right now, for instance, there is every two seconds someone is displaced from their home. That's 47, over 47, 43,000 people 
a day. Right? You get the idea? And what's funny is this is this ratio. You could take that through all of history, and this thing's happening all the time. The governments and the things that take place are very temporal. You know, you know Babylon, who we're going to talk a lot about, you know, it only lasted a century, and it was like powerhouse. And so, what we're going to be talking about, what we talk about in Daniel, is that kingdoms of this world come and go. And when they do, there's also pain all around that of people who trusted in those particular kingdoms. It's part of what life is on this earth. And so, there's this place in which that we have to understand that that is something that, you know, we can, even now, we can, we can see even our own culture, right, changing at pretty rapid paces, you know. Uh, I'm an old guy, right, so I have, I have a lot of history compared to, like, a tabby, some of these people on stage, other than Craig. Uh, and, sorry about that. So, you know, the reality of it is, is I've had these, I've had these experiences throughout my life, right? And here, here's, the, here's a wild one. Think of this. When I was a kid, in the town I was in, if you're a business, you didn't dare open up on Sunday because people were going to church that day. Does that sound familiar? No. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, the reality of it is, is that we're seeing shifts and changes, and it's just a bit of, you know, I'm young. It's just a few years, right? It's, it's happening all the time. And the question is, how do you stay anchored and what do you do with all that pressure and change? How do you live in a kingdom that's shifting and moving and very often the opposite of the very things you hold the most dearly, they are saying the other, right? And so what we look at, as we've talked about in our church quite often, is we are citizens of the kingdom of God. I'm an American but my citizenship is in the kingdom. And every follower of Jesus is a citizen of the kingdom, regardless of what country, what culture, and that is what is there to be their ultimate rule and reign. And Daniel is the example of how that looks and plays out in a culture that's becoming very, become very different than what he's ever used to. And how do we... So Daniel shows us this picture of how is it that we live faithfully and fearlessly and trust in the sovereignty of God over all the kingdoms that keep shifting around. He's modeling for us what it looks like for a regular human to be under the powerful reign of the kingdom in very difficult situations. Daniel is going to show us the sovereignty of God over the kingdom of, kingdoms of men. And when you get that, it settles your heart. It takes away often the fears that we have as we think, see things shifting and allows us to lean in to the true king. Caleb created a little blurb for this, and I thought it was just worth reading. Not all this stuff is this good, but this is pretty good. Our world provides an endless parade of kings and kingdoms vying for power over our lives. That's true, right? But a fearless and faithful life depends on knowing God is the only true king. So, to give you a little context on this spot here, you know, we, uh, first off, Daniel was 
a prophet in the Old Testament. Um, a prophet in the Old Testament, there's lots of them, uh, to, how, to keep uh, God speaking to the nation of Israel. And in that role, a primary role of a prophet was to be made known the Word of God. This often involved calling people back to obedience to God, denouncing injustice, idolatry, empty rituals, and often it was a dangerous job <laughs> because you would either be written off, mocked, imprisoned, or persecuted. Very, very common among prophets as they spoke the Word of God. And so there are 16 different books that have the names of prophets in the Old Testament, and 11 are called the minor prophets, not because they are less important, because they are smaller in size. And uh, then we have the far, the, of course, I still would like to be in the, it sounds much better to be in the major prophet range. They have a little, they're bigger books, and so the major prophets, prophetic books are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And so we're going to be talking about Daniel. I'll give you a little bit of just quick background. In uh, uh, 609 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon, overthrew Judah and plundered the temple took artifacts and took them back to put with his other gods in, in the places he stored all his treasures. And uh, it was very powerful. Babylon was very powerful. And uh, then we look and what he did is uh, seven years of Babylon's dominion over Judah and the surrounding nations until uh, they got overruled by the Persians in, five, in uh, 539 B.C., and then what we look and we go a little bit further and it talks about, there's some estimates that when they did this, they had the domination of that area, they went and they, it was over a period of time, about three different times, but they ended up probably 15 to 70,000 were exiled back into Babylon. And this is where Daniel was. Now, you have to realize how contrasting this was to be exiled, coming into a place that you believed in Yahweh, the one God, and they believed in many, many, many gods. Uh, uh, and so, the, uh, Daniel was likely, now think about this, who is 14 to 16 in this room? Raise your hand. All right, they're all working for us, that's good. <laughs> in the back booth, they're all in the youth. Hey, Scream out from the youth group out there watching online. No. Are they really watching online? I don't know. In the back. Anyway, so, yeah. So, but imagine that. Okay, but think of these guys. How old is Isaac? Okay, 14. Okay. All right. Now imagine that. Okay, so in this spot, if you, you know, and so he was taken to Babylon, and, but it's interesting, he continued to be a part of that culture bringing the light of God and the truth of God for the entire time, for seven years. And then he, he, he lived there until into his 80, 80s or 90s and died there. So that's a little context of how we're, what we're going to be talking about. Now, so throughout these books, the book of Daniel, as we have these chapters, you're going to see these themes that we're going to keep talking about. They're kind of good to get to talk about as you look at it, to be looking for these themes throughout it is Kings and kingdoms will come and go, but God is always at work. He's always working. There's never a point that God says, oh no, something gone sideways, I've got to make a self-correction here. I mean, he's, saw, he's actually working sovereignly in this bizarre way through all these things that are going on around us. 
God is not unclear or confused or uncertain about anything. Past, present, or future. Now, we are. <laughs> Don't get mixed up on that. But he's not. And he really isn't. And that, when you get a hold of that, the pains and the difficulties of life change in perspective. And uh, the big one is, which we see all the way in, through, all the way through Scripture, through Israel and through, and through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and we see in Jesus' teaching, is you're either subject to the king or you're not. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's how we're designed to be. And our job is not to do all these things, but to be subject to the king and his kingdom. Now, so that as a backup, we're going to have um, Brian come up and read us because you wouldn't want me to. Uh, the text. In the year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that there were... They were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them the vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, 
Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thank you, Brian. Jim. You know, that's, as you look at this, you know, a lot there. That's why you'll want to go back and take in a little bit more. But as we go through it, just to highlight a few things that to me stand out is uh, notice that God gave Judah over into their hands. God gave them over their hands. In other words, God sovereignly works in ways that we can't understand. This was for the good of Israel in spite of how evil and wrong things were. And when you get that figured out of how that all works, then you talk to me because I don't... But the sovereignty of God works this way, and we see it all the way through the Old Testament. God is sovereignly doing something that we can't quite figure out. Have you ever had that in your life where you think, what does this have to do with anything? You're just angry. And sometimes you actually have a time later on, you go, I see that how I had to do with everything. Sometimes you never know that till heaven. But the reality of it is he, he's doing what he does for a reason, and he's not confused. He's clear on what he's doing. And so there's this place that, uh, this the, the, a bit of judgment coming against Israel. And then when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he sacks the temple. They probably had some stuff hidden, but he got some articles from the temple. And he went and put it back in his house, of his, his, his God house, which was like, this is my current God. And it was just a whole pile of different beliefs. They're going from a monolithic society to a polyistic theology as far as many, many gods. And so, as we look at this, what we see in this is that they decided what we're going to do now, which you do as you capture, we want the best of the best. They find the best looking, the smartest, and the nobles, the royals, but also the smartest youth the ones that could be influenced, the youth, from 14 to 16, and they capture them and they take them back. If you can imagine that, what that would feel like. And uh, so then we look and there's this place where the king is, is grooming them, right? He understands that he wants them to submit to this kingdom of his because he wants what they have. And so... They get special treatment. You know, they even get what the king eats and drinks, which is quite a treat. And so if you can imagine that, like, okay, I'm trying to figure out what to do with that, and they're probably pretty clear what's taking place. And, uh, and then he ends up naming them different names. And the names, we'll talk, I'll, you know, uh, we'll show you, like, these names, if you can imagine this, right? These are the meanings of the names in Hebrew, and this is what it would be in Babylon. So you go from this place of your name meaning God is my judge to Bel, which is one of their gods, protect the king. That's now your name of this place that has taken you and captured you and, and ransacked the most precious place, the temple, and all the cruelty you've seen, and I would say now your name 
is under the gods that gave us the power to do that. And then we look at this place of Hananiah, like his, Yahweh is gracious. And they, they changed his name to Command of the Moon God. And, you know, Mashiach is, is, he looks, he says, who is what God is? And then to, the, to a God is the spirit of the dead. And then we look, when it changed to Abednego, a slave of the God of Nebo. So, I mean, this, you understand, we're looking, they're, they're saying change your identity, change your allegiance, and there's, they're putting the pressure on. So as we look at this, is what happens is he ends up, Daniel in verse 8 though, this, this, is the, this is the verse. He resolves that he would not defile himself by the king's food or the wine that he drank. And it's probably a combination that it may have, uh, the food had, had things that would be, would be wrong against Jewish custom, but the wine was okay, but even whatever there was, he understood this is a, a feeling of knowing this is, this is defiling my worship to my king. And he was stuck in this kind of spot of trying to know what to do with that. And so he began, he went to the, the head guy that was in charge, the eunuch that was in charge of all these people, and he, and he approached them. And he says, now, wait a second, you know, I'm glad. And he, the thing about you'll see, as we see all through Daniel, you'll see the amount of the of ability for these people uh, of God to actually care for the very people who did atrocities to them. We see this all the time. And even among the eunuchs, they had favor. And so they're trying to help out here, but he's saying, well, you know, I'm trying to help out here. You can tell there's a spot where he wants to help out. He says, basically, it's your stomach, but it's my head. Like, you've you got to realize, this is, this is pretty, this Nebuchadnezzar was like, he would just kill them and kill them and chop off their limbs. No, kill them and chop off their limbs and throw them in. You know, so that's, that, was the, uh, that was the span of discipline, right? So they understand, I'll do that. So he goes in and says, but he's persistent in trying to say, how can we make this work out and not bring harm? So he ends up going down to his more immediate people who are watching over him and says, well, why don't we try this? Let's just let's come up with something that will work for both of us. Give me 10 days and we'll see what happens. And I know you people who are vegetarians are like, thumbs up, finally I'm biblical, and I'll give that to you right there. And I think they're pretty wise. All right, so the reality of it is, though, he says, just give me vegetables, see what happens. And so he goes, okay. And they ended up being fatter, which we all long to be, I know, uh, than the rest. And so as we look at this, is, and so what took place is uh, that started taking place, and then they had this three years of, of preparing before they stand before the king, and they're, again, they're even trying to change their language and learn the language of the culture. And they excelled and, uh, and so the end result is when they stood before the king in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, the enchanters, uh, enchanters and, the, and those who were a part of the kingdom, of all the kingdom. They are raised ten times better. Now, what I want to talk about is, is, is understanding this kind of big picture here. You're Daniel, and I want, what I want you to do is I want you to put yourself 
in the position of Daniel. Put yourself into his shoes as if you were him. 14, 15, 16, probably most, probably most people think even the lower end, the 14 or 15. And you imagine being this place in which that, as a teenager, you watched war and conflict and people getting killed. And you watched, you knew about this looting or even probably possibly observed the looting of the temple and then taking away the things that were the most precious. And you felt this defeat. And then, if it wasn't bad enough, you had Babylonian soldiers come in to your house and pull you away from your parents and say, come with me. And you traveled 900 miles to a country you've never been in. That everything in that country goes against the Torah, goes against the Mosaic Law the things that you've given yourself over to. And you're at this spot where now you're being brought in and you're being groomed by this king who likes to chop off people's heads because he wants you to gain his trust and to submit to his kingdom. And if you don't, not a good picture for you. And yet, with that all going on, and even into the point that they're changing your name to represent gods that you're supposed to be worshiping one true God. <laughs> and now every time they talk to you, they're talking to you by a different name. And so the result is, though, what's interesting is this wild upside-down thing of the kingdom is they excel and gave favor and begin affecting this kingdom of darkness that they're in. <laughs> they begin connecting with the people. They begin excelling in all the things that they do. And they end up becoming to a place, we'll see later, of, of being given tremendous oversight throughout the kingdom. But it kind of starts with one particular place, and that's in verse 8. Because in verse 8, I want us to focus in on this. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And so what we see here is he was very clear I mean, right in there in the commandments, just like, like Jesus was very clear that we're supposed to worship one God and serve him only. So he's stuck. He, he knows that's it. And so he decides, I've got to do this. Now, the word that stands out to me is this place of he resolved. You know, the, the uh, King James talks about he purposed in his heart the message says Daniel determined that he would not do this. Uh, I think, but I think the ESV and the NIV is actually the most correct, is that he resolved. Resolved is this place that it's a... Uh, I'm not sure why it's not coming up, but there's, there is a great definition there when it comes up. Uh, 
I resolve that this clicker does this quite a bit. All right, so, so I'll just tell you the definition, and if it clicks on later, we'll be okay. Um, so resolve means to place that you have a firm determination to do something or not do something. The Hebrew we're actually out of, out of dissolve is actually the Hebrew to put or place or set. That's where it comes from. It's this place that ahead of time you've decided, I'm setting here and I'm staying here, right? And this is what he did. And here's what's interesting. This resolve, it's very important to understand where this resolve came from. Um, I've had a few times me and my wife have been in intense discussions, we might say, and I become resolved, but it's not this way. I resolve that I'm not moving an inch, you know, I resolve that I'm not going to take this, or I, that's not, this, where this resolve comes from and what it looks like is pretty crucial here, because his resolve was not fueled by any hatred. And he had plenty of fuel. His resolve was not even rebellious. His resolve was not even towards those humans so much. His resolve was not based on if I do this, this will mean this and this will push him to this. Or his resolve really wasn't even based on what results he's going for. His resolve flowed out of his love for his heavenly Father and his commitment to be submitted and yielded to his king, his eternal king. Out of that relationship. And in that, you see the very thing that happened we see and we talk about all the time in our church. It's love God, love others. When you love God, you start loving others. And you see the very same thing in which that he is actually in the places of having a place that he's not hating and raging, he's actually loving and trying to help this culture. You know, it's interesting, Jeremiah actually spoke to this culture. And while they're in, Jeremiah wrote and said this, but seek the welfare of the city, talking about Babylon, where you are sent into exile, and, I, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for its welfare, will you'll find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of Israel, do not let the prophets and those diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. You see what's happening there? It's like, I'm resolved to not be pulled in to this, and I'm, I'm resolved to do what's to the benefit of all people at the same time. And the way he does that is he chooses this thing of, I am not going to defile myself. He's making this statement out of his commitment for fidelity in his relationship with his God. He's doing it out of his determination to remain faithful. 
still not knowing. You understand? He's like, I think it's going to be A, B, and C. This is what's going to happen. He just, he just knows I'm resolved to be faithful. I'm resolved to have fidelity in my relationship. I'm resolved to always be the citizen of the kingdom, no matter where I'm at. And so as he looks at that, we start understanding this place of resolve is kind of an important thing. So what I want, to, I want us to think about, because you can kind of feel what this must have felt like if you just put him in shoes. It's like the, the threat of this choice to decide I am not going to eat the king's food had lots of possible consequences. And he's wrestling with those, but he something gets to the point, he goes, I don't even know what this is going to mean, but I know I cannot do it. So I'm resolving not to do it. I'm putting myself set, and whatever comes, comes. Now, I want you to think about your life and ask God to kind of show you as we're thinking about this. This is how we'll close out a little bit. Where were some times that you can kind of relate to this? may not be as dramatic or massive or big, but the sense in which that you know that God has shown you something, something that you should do or you shouldn't do, and you know God is stirring you, and something you find you get to a place that you resolve, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to stop it. Now, you might have said, I'm going to stop it many times before, but you hadn't got to a place of God resolving it. Right? What is it that God has done in your past in that way? I can tell you, if you have those, you can say lots of amazingly good things, but you remember what it felt like when you said yes and resolved and say, I will do this. When it first happened, it didn't feel great at first. But then you see the fruit of what took place. Now, you know, I, I, uh, maybe it's the spot like, I mean, for me, I think about even remembering this resolve to follow Jesus the rest of my life. I remember when those words came out of my mouth, I was shaking in my boots. We, also, we always call Daniel this fearless leader. We don't, it, it looks good in retrospect, but trust me, he's a human, and he's doing it, and he probably did not escape fear. But his commitment to fidelity overcame his fear, not his raw, go, fear. That's not how he did it. He did it through the place of, of knowing that he is a citizen and he must remain faithful. And, you know, for me, I, I was, my big thing, and, it, and it's, God's freed me of most of it, but there's, you know, there's certain things in your life that you kind of, you, you get, you're so grateful for all God's done, but it still has a little bit of that. So, but my big thing when I first came to Jesus was I had learned how to be accepted by people. I hate to call it people pleasure, but that's what it was. I, I learned really creative ways of looking like I wasn't doing it, but I was doing everything to be pleasing to people. 
And so when I first decided to follow Jesus, my first thing was, I'm going to commit to follow you the rest of my life, no matter what this brings. And I remember, and you've heard my story before, I remember the next day it brought, go tell all your non-Christian friends. And I froze, man. I thought, I can't do it. I, I, I literally fought him on this like crazy. And then he just would kept putting these places. And so I just said, God, I resolved to keep being honest and telling people what you've done for me. And that resolve, it took a while for me to get to that place. I used to have, I used to have my non-Christian come, friends come to me and ask me why I didn't do these things. I said, I went straight. I couldn't even say Jesus. I, and I would just say I went straight. It was, wasn't working for me. And I would just feel Jesus go, hmm. You know, I hasn't been resolved that and I was just, it was just, I could feel the infidelity of it. I could feel the wrongness of that, right? But then there's a spot in which the, you get to a place of you resolve to do that. And so for me, I remember this big issue with me. So it's like, okay, I'm still working on this. You keep giving me chances, but I, I, God just helped me with this. And I remember the, the first job I went through for a couple of years after I became a Christian, I never, I was always very elusive about my faith, right? And, uh, I used to think, well, I'll, I'll just show it through my hard work, you know. And Jesus kept saying, well, why don't you tell them too? It might be good to have both, right? And so, uh, so when I got ready for my next job, I thought, how am I going to resolve that in my employment that I'm an outed Christian who loves Jesus? And I thought, put on your resume studies and hobbies, studies of the Bible, and they'll surely ask you about it. And of course, they didn't ask me about it. Like, they were like, I don't want to ask about this. So I said, you might notice, because so I, I, I resolved, I'm going to get this out early, because I was such a people pleaser. I resolved, and I said, you might notice that I study the Bible. And I'm sure you're wondering why I study the Bible. And I went into this long rant on explaining how I came to know Jesus. And the person said, I'm looking at me like, what are you doing? But I resolved I wasn't going to hide my faith. And from then on, at every interview, I bring Jesus up ahead of time. Right? I have to admit, I do sell him for it. It's like, it's a good deal that I know Jesus because I'm a good employee. So I do positively spin it, but I always tell it. Right? Plus, you'd act different after you've made that big stand for the beginning of your employment. It changes things. That choice to say, I will stand here and not know what's coming has a lot of cool things that come. But it can be lots of things. As a pastor, one of my gifts that I get is I'm I'm often in when the line is drawn in the sand and people are saying, I don't think I can go across it. <laughs> and some don't. And it's the hard part. But people often know God is putting a clarity and inviting them to say, follow me. Do you notice how much Jesus has this place where he says, he loves them, and he says, will you follow me? This is, those are moments of resolve. Yes. Well, are you going to keep following me? I don't know where else I want to go. And the disciples said, there we left. Only you have the words of life. I'm resolved. I'll follow you. 
And it's the place in which that how many times I've seen how people have resolved, I am no longer going to hide this thing in my life. I've been hiding it all my life. I am no longer going to pretend these things aren't going on inside of me. And I'm going to open that up. God has been talking to me about this thing and I am going to say yes to it. And it can happen on big scales, but trust me, I don't think that Daniel was thinking, I think I should eat vegetables. And I think this will end up with 70 years reign of having tremendous influence. This will be a good move. All he was thinking was, I can't defile and I must stand here. And then things started taking place. And I've had people in our church that have been here for literally years. And they've always known they're supposed to go up for prayer. And they've waited like two or three years. And then they've come out and, and they and it, think, did that prayer time, was that so powerful? No, it's, they finally try to resolve, of, I'm no longer going to pretend like this isn't going on. I'm going to say yes to this thing that's stirring. I'm going to cross that line in front of me. Right? So, we have a culture that's shifting quickly. And God is, you know, God is talking to us about things to prepare us for that. Right? And whether it's God says to you, I don't want you to drink anymore. And you say, well, wait a second. It's, it's biblical. I, my friend, that's not the point. When he said, don't eat vegetables, he didn't go, they didn't go to all the 15,000 and say, no vegetables for everybody. This is the new rule. He says, that's what he knew that God was saying to him and saying, okay, I'll do that. I will no longer give myself over to this thing. I'll never want to hide it. Those, those are huge things. They seem small at the moment. You justify they're not a big deal. They're huge because they're preparing you for what's taking place. And it's not legalism. It's, not, it's a place, and it's not done out of anger or fear. It's done out of response to our king who we say, I'm set. And I'm not sure what that means. So, Invitation is pretty clear. Is there something that God is asking you to decide to resolve to do or not do? I think the word resolve kind of shows it because you're resolving something. There's something stirring. <laughs> should I? Should I? And you know what God's saying. And you say, no. I don't even know. And here's the thing is, you don't know where this is going to go. You just know it's the right thing to do and you have to trust God your king that he's good.